0: So that brings us to the next section, the expansion of the covenant people. Ten days after this ascension, 50 days after his resurrection, they're all hiding out in an incredible amount of fear, waiting in this room for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit like he said he would. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in the other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them like little tongues of fire. And it fills each one of them with the Holy Spirit. And you're like, why does it come that way? Well, it comes as tongues, because tongues just literally means languages. We often think of tongues being this mysterious speaking in tongues kind of a thing. And I'm not going to get into that conversation. But the word tongues literally means in the Greek, languages. We say languages, they say tongues. That's all it literally means. So it comes as languages. Now, why does it come as multiple languages? Because, remember, at the Tower of Babylon, God cursed them by confusing their languages so that they couldn't unite together anymore. But now the Holy Spirit is coming to undo the curse of Babylon and giving them the ability to hear the message all in their own language. Because what God is saying is, is you're now allowed to be unified again as long as you're unified in the Holy Spirit. Unity is allowed in the Holy Spirit. Not only that, the multiple language is showing that this is truly for all people of all nations, regardless of ethnicity. But it also comes as little pillars of fire. Where have we seen fire? The Shekinah glory of God. Now, if the Shekinah glory of God came down on Mount Sinai, and that's what the law was given, then that means we're the new Mount Sinai, which means we're the cosmic mountain. If the Shekinah glory of God entered into the tabernacle and dwelt there, that means we're the new tabernacle. And what it means is that we are the new cosmic mountain, and we are the new ark of the covenant, and we are the new tabernacle if the Holy Spirit is in you. And the Shekinah glory of God is living in each one of us. And remember the prophets said, the day will come when he will pour his spirit on you and he will write his law on your hearts. Well, if the Shekinah glory of God came down Mount Sinai and gave them the law, then the Holy Spirit is now coming upon them and writing the law on their hearts. And then it says it will circumcise their hearts. And Paul even says the Spirit of God is a circumcision of hearts. And so here's the thing too. Remember, Passover was the night of their exodus out of Egypt. It was 50 days exactly later when the law was given to them at Mount Sinai. Passover was the day that Jesus died on the cross. It was 50 days exactly later that the Holy Spirit came and indwelled them. It means that we are now the new tabernacle, the new cosmic mountain of God. And the law is written on our hearts through the Holy Spirit, not on stone tablets. This is why Jeremiah says that a day will come when you won't need anybody to tell you the will of God Because the will of God will be written on your hearts because you are the divine counsel of Yahweh We are not taken up into the divine counsel of Yahweh The divine counsel of Yahweh has been put into us And we don't need a prophet to come and tell us what God's will is We are all prophets and we all can know the will of God Now can I always trust myself to correctly hear God all the time? Heck no But can we come together as a body of Christ and pray together and all hear God speak to us the same way? Yes. And when you say, God told me that you should be, I should be, thank you. Maybe I haven't been listening to God lately. I will pray about that and see if he tells me the same thing too. I'm not completely and utterly dependent upon you now. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm not saying that we're an island unto ourselves and I don't need you. We don't know a good church. I'm just saying I don't need you as a human and I'm utterly dependent upon you as a human to know everything that I need to know about God. And when you screw up, because you will and I will too, that then we're led astray and then we're horribly disappointed by these humans that have been lifted up on pedestals, and then you find out that they're like every other human in sin, and then they fall, and we're disappointed because we've idolized them. But when you realize that we're all prophets, then you know that there's a beauty that we do need each other because we are the body of Christ, but I'm not utterly dependent upon you in a pedestal, idol kind of a way to know what God wants for my life. And so neither shall I walk away from the body of Christ, because there is no covenant outside of that, nor shall I be utterly dependent upon you alone and make you my replacement, God. This is what it means to be the priesthood of believers, that we're all prophets, we're all the Ark of the Covenant, we're all the temple of God. Now notice the wind came too, the Ruach of God, the wind that subdued the chaos of creation is the same wind that's coming now to subdue the chaos of the curse of the Tower of Babylon. And they all hear in their own languages because remember, Micah and Isaiah both said that one day God will establish his cosmic mountain on this earth and all people from all nations will come up the cosmic mountain and dwell with Yahweh. Not like when he came at Mount Sinai and the people said, we're too scared to go to the mountain of God. Now we will all go. And we all go because we are the cosmic mountain. We don't have to climb it. Remember, man's always trying to go to heaven through our own works. The Tower of Babylon, Jacob, all these things. But God is always coming down to us and the garden. When he came to Abraham and appeared to him. When he came down in the tabernacle. When he came down on Mount Sinai and invited them to join him. When he came down in Jesus Christ as his son. When he came down in the Holy Spirit. And in Revelation, he's going to come down, bring heaven to earth. God is always coming down to us because we can never ascend the mountain of God. We're not capable of doing it. Just as the Shekinah glory of Yahweh wrote the law on tablets at Mount Sinai, so now the Holy Spirit was writing the law on the hearts of the believers. This was the beginning of the circumcision of their hearts, when they would be transformed into the people who would have the desire and ability to love and obey Yahweh. Romans two, eighteen through 19 says... For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision something that is outward in the flesh. But someone who is a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit and not by the letter. This person's praise is not from people, but from God. Romans 12, 1 through 2, therefore I exhort you brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, not a dead sacrifice. You don't have to sacrifice yourself like the pagans. And you don't have to sacrifice an animal like the Jews. You present your own body as a sacrifice, but as living. You don't have to kill yourself. You don't have to kill something else because Christ has already died for you. But you still sacrifice your life to God, meaning you present it to him, and you serve him, and you obey him, and you allow him to change you, to become holy, to be unique. Unlike anything else in all of creation because you're allowing God to use you in a way that nobody else is being used. To be pleasing to God because you're submitting to the spirit and actually allowing it to transform you. Which is your reasonable service. This is your expand of the garden. Remember the priests and the garden were called to work until. is the same word used as the priests working in the tabernacle. This is your service. Do not be conformed to this present world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may test and approve what is the will of God. It's not the heart that needs to change. It's the way that we think. It's the mind that desires things. It's the mind that makes choices. It's the mind that thinks. That's what needs to be changed. So you may prove the will of God. What is good and well pleasing and perfect. We now have new hearts. So in some ways, this world is still under the hold of Satan. But in other ways... We have the ability to redeem it and take it back because Christ is in us. We couldn't take the world from Satan because our hearts were hard. And Israel constantly failed. But now that Christ is in us and Christ has the ability to redeem, he has the ability to conquer sin, death, and the devil, then as we submit to him and we're led by the Holy Spirit, then we can actually subdue the garden and expand it, drive out the serpents and take the kingdom back from Satan as we obediently follow Christ day by day by day, as we bring evening into morning like God did in creation. Jesus becomes what Adam could never do and what Israel could never do. He becomes what Adam failed to do, and he becomes what Israel could not do. So that now he can indwell us and give us the ability to do what Adam and Israel were meant to do if we rest in him, if we submit to him. We are Ezekiel's temple. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10. through 10. But you, the church, the Gentiles... Are the chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? He's directly quoting Exodus 19. When God came to Israel and said, "You are my chosen people, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests." Now Peter is saying it of us, the Gentiles. Mean that we are the new Israel. A people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, the Gentiles, but now you are God's people, the chosen people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is quoting from Hosea, when Hosea said that of Israel. You are not my people, but now you will be my people. And so what he's saying is that we are the new Israel. If Jesus is what Israel could never be, and Jesus is Israel being born to Israel, and he's in us, then that means by faith we are Israel. And it means by faith Israel can come back to God too. The disciples become exactly this. They were empowered in the book of Acts and emboldened through the Holy Spirit. Remember, they're all cowering in fear. And they're like, oh, please, Rome, don't hurt us. Now, I don't blame them. (laughs) Any of us would be like that they didn't have the power to change Rome but when the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power just like Jesus said it would all of a sudden now they're emboldened and empowered and they're willing to die and they're willing to speak and they're willing to go out and change Rome the Roman Empire through the message of Jesus Christ and through the miracles that he gives them and so they do exactly what he does The book of Acts, they start in Jerusalem, they go to Judea, they go to Samaria, which is non-Israelites, and then the ends of the earth, which are definitely non-Israelites. The covenant people of Yahweh through the Holy Spirit were doing what Israel had failed to do in the image of God, but the early believers did not move out to other nations like they had been commanded to do until they began to get persecuted once again, they're not exactly completely 100% sinless because this is going to be a process that we're going to learn about later through Paul. And once Stephen is killed and the Jews are persecuted in chapter 7 of Acts, then all of a sudden they actually begin to scatter and they go out into all the world like God told them to do. They go into all the nations. One day, Jesus appeared to the Jewish Pharisee Saul. Saul was in training to be a Pharisee. And in fact, Saul says later that he was going to become the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was going to be the head of the Pharisees. Jesus rebuked him for persecuting the Christians who were his people. This experience was so powerful that it changed Saul's life. He dedicated all of his knowledge and skills to the understanding the character and the story of Yahweh's redemption in the First Testament and how it led to Christ. His name was changed to Paul, and he became a great thinker, missionary, and a key person in the formation of the early church. He is the great example of not only the most ultimate enemy of God, killing God's people, but also the Jews who had rejected Christ, becoming a Christian. The book of Acts is the narrative chronology of the events of the early church. But at the same time, the epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Jude, all those books are being written during this time period. So like Kings is the historical narrative events of the early Jews or the First Testament, and the prophets are the words of the prophets during that historical narrative, it's the same thing now. Now you have the historical narrative of the book of Acts with the epistles being the words of the prophets because we're all prophets, writing to you and helping you unpack everything. The covenant people of Yahweh, through the Holy Spirit, were doing what Israel had failed to do, to be the image of God, subduing the chaos, and driving the serpents out of the garden. So during this time period, there are two major shifts that begin to happen in the book of Acts in the early church. First, It had become very clear at this point that the Jewish leaders and the people as a whole had rejected Christ and his covenant. It was becoming clear that the Jews were not going to embrace this. Second, Yahweh was actively pursuing the Gentiles and their first inclusion in the covenant community. It's becoming clear the Jews want nothing to do with Christ and it's becoming clear that God is actively pursuing the Gentiles in a way that Israel has never seen it before. We kind of already saw this in Christ's ministry. The fig tree was the national symbol of Israel. And one day Jesus is preaching at the end of his life, and he came to the fig tree, and he knows that the fig tree was producing no fruit. It was a symbol of Israel. And then he cursed it. He cursed it because it was being judged by God. Then, a week later or so, he comes back to that same tree, and the tree is dead. Because remember John said, repent for the kingdom of God isn't near and the axe is already at the tree. Now God was giving them one last chance in the Holy Spirit and the new prophets that we call the disciples. And so now Israel was clearly rejecting this again. Peter in chapter 2 even says this. You killed the prophets. You did this. You killed Jesus. You, 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 you. And now here the Holy Spirit is making it clear. And now you have the resurrection. What will you do now? If you reject Christ, he may be done with you. This is becoming increasingly clear. Now, the earliest Christians are also Jews. The leaders are Jews. Many, 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 many more people in the church are becoming Gentiles. However, the leadership is still the Jewish leadership. And they're struggling with this because they're the chosen people. And they everybody should follow the law. But at the same time, we can't deny what God is doing. And we know that we should be open to everybody. So they struggle with the inclusion of the Gentiles. They struggle with how much to put them under the law. And they begin to ask whether circumcision should be required in order to be saved, in order to be included in the covenant community. And Paul challenges them on this idea. And he says, you've missed the whole point. All that was required for salvation was faith in Jesus to become a part of the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. And Paul, Moses' writings, Romans and Galatians, are going to all be about the fact that Christ fulfilled the law. And by fulfilling the law, he met all the requirements of the law. But now he indwells us, and if we submit to him, we meet the requirements of the law. So therefore, it's insulting to go back to the law and say we should follow it when the one who has fulfilled the law and is better than the law is in you now. Why would you reject that and go back to the law? It's like if somebody is offering you an incredible butter steak, why would you say, no, I'm okay, I'll just do baloney. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, no, 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 no. And Paul's also saying this outward circumcision was only a foreshadow of the internal circumcision that would happen one day. And this is even the law. He points out the fact that even the law says it is meant to be replaced one day. The very law, Jeremiah 31, says a new covenant will come and replace it. The very law says that you need to be circumcised in your heart. The very law says that one day God will come and dwell with us and be our Sabbath. The major points of the law are all being replaced. Christ, the whole law is built on the sacrificial system. Christ has become the better sacrifice. The whole law is pointing to a better um, um, way to be followed one day. All this is being replaced. And Paul makes a great argument, and the church eventually embraces it and says that only faith is necessary to come to Christ. Yahweh, through the prophets and the Holy Spirit, had made it clear that one did not have to go through the Mosaic Law in order to be saved through Jesus. John three sixteen through seventeen. For this is the way that God loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, like the the Law does, but that He would should be saved through Him, which the Law cannot do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For grace you are saved by faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. It is not from works, so that no one can boast. So Paul argued that followers of Christ were no longer under the Mosaic law because no one can meet the requirements of the law. Romans 1 through 3, Therefore the law only brings death. If you can't meet the requirements, it's going to kill you. Christ came to fulfill the requirements of the law by the fact that he lived the perfectly righteous life that nobody else could do. Therefore, he was not under the penalty of the law, according to, Romans, according to Romans 3, 21 through 26, and Matthew 5, 17. But he died in our place, freeing us from the penalty of the law. If he didn't have to die for his own sins, then he's able to die for our sins. Therefore, we no longer have to die for our sins. Therefore, we are no longer under the law. Because the whole law was required to obey it, and if we didn't, we were going to be penalized. Now, he is fulfilling the law, and he's done away with the penalty, and he's in us, so we don't need the law, but are saved by grace and faith alone. Now that Christ and the Holy Spirit indwell us, we meet the requirements of the law when we surrender to their transformation of our mind and heart and submit to their will. John three, sixteen through seventeen, Romans twelve, one through two, and Ephesians two, eight through nine. This is the inward circumcision of the heart, which is the most perfect circumcision, then the outward physical circumcision. Romans two, twenty-five through twenty-nine. Now, I know that that is one of the biggest theological things our church is wrestling with today, the law and that kind of stuff. And I just summarized it one paragraph and said, there you go. But remember, this is an overview of the Bible, not a dissecting of the Bible. Romans 3.21-26 through 26, But now apart from the law, righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So outside the law, God's will has been made known, even though the law and the prophets said this is the way it was going to happen. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just to the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So in all the First Testament, sin wasn't really being punished like it should have been. Because if it was, everybody would be dying. Dead, 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 dead. But God showed his grace and allowed you to continue to be living even though you violate the law, but that means sin isn't really being punished. So in Christ, he now meets that. And Christ, Christ becomes our death atonement, meaning that none of us have to die now because Christ died in our place. But he also is dying in our place, which means he is the grace of God. Remember, if you're showing somebody grace, you're not being just. If you're being just, you're not showing somebody grace. The cross is the only place that both can happen. God is justly punishing all sin in Christ, and God is showing you grace by the fact that he's doing it on your behalf and you don't have to die. Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, therefore, there's another sacrifice and another sacrifice, another sacrifice, another sacrifice to atone for you. It says, in Christ Jesus, bam, it's all done. No condemnation anymore. For the law of the life-giving Spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh. The law couldn't help you. It was words on stones that told you what to do but it didn't live in you and give you the power to actually obey or want to obey. Therefore it was left to only your own strength to obey the law and you couldn't. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and concerning sin he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirements of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. You don't have to obey the law in order to become part of the covenant. You don't have to become Jewish in order to become part of the covenant. Clearly, clear that Yahweh had accepted the Gentiles in the covenant community by faith in the first testament. This was also made clear through Jesus' ministry and Yahweh's vision to Peter of the clean Jews and the unclean Gentile animals that were now all to be included in the kingdom of Yahweh. So Acts chapter 10, Peter sees a vision of all these clean and unclean animals. In the first testament, the unclean animals represent the Gentiles. And the clean animals represent the Jews. And God was saying, don't mix with the Gentiles because they're horrible, pagan, evil people. And you are incapable of hanging out with them and not becoming like them, i.e. the entire First Testament. <laughs> so don't do that. But in Acts chapter 10, God says, eat everything. And Peter's like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. It's all And God's like, no, 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 eat everything. Because now I want you to go with the Gentiles, and I want you to mix with them, and I want you to bring in the kingdom of God, and now you are actually capable of doing it without being corrupted because I am in you. The Holy Spirit's in you. Now, don't be unwise and just hang out with people that you know. Like, if you've got an alcohol problem, don't go out and hang out with a bunch of alcohol. If you've got a lust problem, don't hang out with a bunch of strippers. I know these are extreme examples, but I'm not going to go into Don't be dumb. And don't do too much time with people if you know they are easily lead you. We need to be in the body of Christ too. So that's why we gather as a community to become strengthened, to be discipled and know the will of God. And we pray and we submit to the Holy Spirit so we can go to the believers, the non-believers, the Gentiles, and we can mix with them. We can talk to them. But when we notice that we're becoming weak and tired and easily influenced and we withdraw like Christ did and we spend time with God, the body of Christ, and we get nurtured. And so there's this rhythm. And then I bring you into my life. And I ask you, call me out. If you notice that I'm not seeing the warning signs and I'm spending too much time with things I shouldn't, call me out and pull me back in. And then we work together as a priest to the believers, going to the Gentiles, going to the non-believers. So this is what God is saying. You're able to do it now because I am in you. Yahweh was moving away from the Jews to the Gentiles and the new covenant people of Yahweh because the Jews had rejected Jesus their Christ. But this did not mean that the Jews were no longer the chosen people, for this was out of them that Jesus had come. And it was to them that Yahweh had promised to restore them one day. They were merely in time out. One day the Jewish people as a whole would come back to Yahweh, and one day the tree, the Jews, the grafted branched Gentiles, would be the whole united covenant people of Yahweh. How the Jews fit into things like, hey, they're the chosen people of God and God made all these promises to them and he's got to fulfill the promises, but they're not fulfilled yet. But yet at the same time, they're no longer the chosen people and we're the chosen people as a church. Yet, how does it all work? The best way that I've had to think about it is they're in timeout right now. When I put my daughters in timeout, I'm not kicking them out of the family. I'm just saying if you refuse to be a loving, kind person in the family and you want to hurt everybody then you cannot hang out with us right now. But by putting you in time out, you'll realize that you're missing out on the family, and you'll want to change your behavior and come back. And then you can join the covenant community. Now, that only works so far if the Holy Spirit is not working in their lives, because that doesn't ultimately change people, just time out. But it does give them time to calm down and think about things, and then maybe we can have a conversation about the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's doing with the juice. You refuse to obey. You refuse to accept me. But I'm not done with you because I made you promises and you're my people. But you're in time out right now and I'm picking in new people. But when you're ready to come back and join us, I will give you the ability to come back and the desire to come back when I give you the Holy Spirit. And then both the Jews and the Gentiles will be united together as one body in Christ. That's the idea. Now, I know it's a lot more complicated than that, but that's the summary. Ephesians chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness and to his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in flesh, were called uncircumcision, but by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body of human hands, that you were, at the time, without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who used to be far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one, And who destroyed the middle wall partition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law of the commandments and decrees, he did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by which the hostility has been killed. So, what he's saying is not only did God break down the barrier between Yahweh and man, the veil and the Holy of Holies, to unite us together once again for the first time ever. But he also broke down the burial wall, the courtyard fence between the Jews, the covenant people of God in the courtyard and the Gentiles outside. Remember, many tall gates, really small walls. And now the Gentiles and the Jews are brought together in one group. So God and humans, Gentiles and Jews, all brought together in one body. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, Gentiles and Jews. So that through him we both, Have access to one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and non citizens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints and the members of God's household, because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, with Christ Jesus. The apostles are the Gentiles, the head of the Gentile church, and the prophets are the head of Israel. With Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone, and Him who the building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in Yahweh and the Lord, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. We are the stones being built into the cornerstone of Christ to become the new temple, the new tabernacle, the new ark of the covenant, Jew and Gentile. Paul and the disciples continued to branch out past Judea to many peoples of all ethnicities, nations, social stats, genders. People of all kinds came to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church was fruitful and multiplied as it filled the world. Yet at the same time, the powers and the governments represented the kingdom of Yahweh and the threat it posed to their power hold. And they persecuted the church. Yet the church grew all the more and looked forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the new Jerusalem. That's what you and I are living in now. We are living in this, the church era, the expansion of God's kingdom, not the, the Garden of Eden, sorry, not the restoration of Garden of Eden. You and I are living in the expansion of the covenant people. We are the book of Acts Continued we are what the disciples are. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of God. We are the ark of the covenant. We have the Shekinah glory of God living in us, transforming us by the renewing of our mind. When we submit to God, we actually have the ability for the first time ever to do what Israel can never do because Christ is in us, to actually go out, subdue the chaos drive out the serpents in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and in our institutions and begin to expand the garden. Not just bring people into Christ so that they can receive the Shekinah glory of God, but to also expand the garden and subdue the chaos and in the institutions around us. So that psychology will be done in a godly way. So that Banking will be done in a godly way. That hospitals will be done in godly way. Politics will be done in a godly way. We're not just to save people, but we're to change institutions to produce fruit, to be a garden. And you and I, each day, are to end every day saying, Have I brought more morning to the day, order, or more evening chaos? This world is full of serpents. And just like the disciples, we are the prophets. We are the kingdom of God. We are the temple. We have the Shekinah glory. And when you pray and you submit to the spirit and do in his power, not our flesh, we can do what the disciples did in Acts. Subdue the chaos, drive out the serpents, expand the garden. We have the ability to do what we were meant to do in the garden of Eden. Yes, there's way more serpents than there were for Adam and Eve. And the garden is not as fruitful as it used to be. But we have the ability to do it when we're in Christ.